Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Judith Warner talking about middle school. Judith is the New York Times bestselling author of books like Perfect Madness, Motherhood in the Age of Anxiety, We've Got Issues, Children and Parents in the Age of Medication, and the book, And Then They Stopped Talking to Me, Making Sense of Middle School. Judith is a frequent contributor to the New York Times, a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, and she is speaking with us today about middle school, her experience as a middle school parent, and what Judith learned about middle school while writing this book. We're going to talk about why middle school is so emotional for parents and for teenagers, a journalism technique that parents can use when they're interviewing their teenagers to get more information about anything you want, how to find the balance between being interested but not too interested in whatever your teenager is saying, and we're going to see how fear is really at the root of all the biggest mistakes that parents make during the middle school years. Judith, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This book is what I read of yours, and then they stopped talking to me, making sense of middle school. So much stuff that I thought was really, really interesting, a different way of thinking about middle school, and then you write about it in a really beautiful and thought-provoking way, I think, and you bring in so many stories and different people's experiences. Um, so I think it's it's really cool, and I'm just curious what, what got you um, interested in this topic or, you know, motivated enough to do all of this work to collect all these stories and create this book. It was really the experience of being a middle school parent, not having middle schoolers so much as being in the world of middle school parents and noticing a lot of kind of strange things going on in the parent behavior, you know, which it seemed to me really changed noticeably uh, when our kids got to be in sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And, you know, this was a group of parents who had been together for a long time. So there was a frame of reference. And I just found that there were all these kind of weird middle schoolerish things happening among the parents. And I found that on the inside, I was kind of hyper reactive to things that were happening, even if I wasn't engaging in them, just in, you know, how they felt on the inside. And I thought there had to be something overdetermined about the degree to which things were bothering me or things that happened to my daughters were bothering me. And I figured the same was true for the other adults as well. And I was really, really eager to find out who the 12-year-olds were who were walking around inside of us. 
And that that was the original point of departure. As you point out in the book, there's so much of parenting that feels like you're re-experiencing life through your kids. And middle school is not necessarily the most fun thing to re-experience or to kind of go through like that. There's so much about parenting that throws you into middle schooler-ish situations in that, you know, you're in social situations where you're with a bunch of other people who you wouldn't necessarily choose as your friends, but you're kind of stuck with them for the long haul um, because you're kids are in class with them and some of them you would choose as your friends some of them you do and they become wonderful yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah. and you have to learn to to tolerate you know just as kids have to and you know there's a lot I mean there are a lot of stories in the book way more out there than anything I experienced of you know parents treating one another in these kind of middle schoolerish ways and in talking to about the book I talk to more people and I hear more of these stories so it it really seems to be something that a lot of people see and experience. And of course, it just reflects the fact that parents of kids that age tend to be having a really hard time. It's a very hard time to be a parent. You write that middle school is a sense of not belonging, not fitting in, uh, and feeling like the wrong sort of person, which I thought was just such a good description of this time of life. That description came very much from my interviews. I mean, people have written about the way it feels to be a kid that age for centuries, really. I mean, they're talking about the age of puberty, which was older in the past, you know, than middle school age. But, you know, really going back for centuries, you find writing about this, that adults have been um, fascinated with this age and kind of, you know, sometimes even in some ways obsessed with it. Um, But the the interviews that I did at the very beginning were with adults looking back on themselves. Then Then I got to interviewing parents and educators, you know, and experts. And this is what emerged from those stories, which were just so powerful. You know, I realized in doing them that if you ask somebody the question, tell me what middle school was like for you, or tell me your middle school experience, you sort of get their entire life encapsulated in a two hour telling. Uh, Partly because what happens then is very important, but partly also because of the importance that we bring to it. And the fact that what happens to us at that point hits us at a time developmentally where everything sinks in more deeply and the memories are sharper and, um, and things just kind of cling to us in a way that they might not at other ages. You do something interesting in this book, which is you kind of look through the history of adolescence through time and you point out sort of that like, well, if you go back in time, people were sent out on apprenticeships or sent out of the house around 11 and 12 years old. We didn't even have this period. So what, I guess, what, how did we get here then? Then what created this um, phenomenon that we now have of parents and teenagers being at war with each other and in the same, under the same roof? 
Yeah, and also this place in the mind called middle school in the US. So partly, as you say, you know, it is a, in human history, at least it's a relatively recent phenomenon that most parents and most kids are continuing to live under the same roof, certainly after the age of puberty, but even, you know, as young as in this country, 11 or 12, because in until the mid to late 19th century, most kids were starting to live at least up to a certain point separately from their parents at that point. You know, if if they were wealthy, they were sent off to boarding school, they were boys. If they were basically everyone else, they were being sent out to work, to work in the fields, to um, work as a servant in other people's homes, let's say, or sent out to apprentice. And it was really only with the industrial revolution when it became more important to get an education, you know, there became to be more opportunities for people in, you know, the growing middle class, office work, things that came from, you know, becoming more educated, that there became an emphasis on keeping kids in school longer and year round. And then the schools became overcrowded and the junior high schools came into being at the beginning of the 20th century. And some of that was because of education reformers saying this, you know, is a specific and important age. At that point, it was seventh, eighth and ninth grade. Um, And they, you know, these kids need an education that's different from that of six year olds, because in the past many places they were all in one schoolhouse. Um, And also because of overcrowding that they needed new buildings. And through those two experiences of extended time living together and then having kids in school together, the, in a sense, modern middle schooler was born and parents started complaining about them in very much the same ways that they do now. And I think it's, that's so key because as you point out, a lot of these phenomenon are related to that group effect and the fact that we take all the 12 to 15 year olds and put them in the same environment together as a big group. It's tough for them. It also has, ever since the junior high schools came into being in 1909, It's been really hard for parents because it's the first time that their kids are kind of moving outside of their orbit, making friends who they don't know from the neighborhood, you know, going into homes of people, you know, who they don't know, and just being in a much larger environment with kids from all over where they feel like they can't anymore control the cultural stuff that they're up against, the, you know, what used to be called the moral education of their children that we don't think of that way anymore, but that kind of is the same thing. Um, And also technology started changing in the 20th century, even if it at the beginning was, you know, what used to be called motion pictures or radio. Each time there's some technological change, um, kids this age eat it up and parents are really worried about it, about it being a bad influence, like, you know, corrupting influence. I found this really interesting. You talk about conflict. The idea that conflict is sort of central to adolescent development comes from Freudian thinking and from, I guess, Anna Freud in the 30s. And um, it never actually was really backed up by research. 
but was just sort of assumed to be true, I guess. It kind of got into the popular thinking. Well, there's always been a big gap between the way, or there has long been, I wouldn't say always been, there has long been a big gap between the way experts talk about kids that age and the way parents perceive them. I would say at the early point in the, you know, history of psychologists specifically looking at kids this age, there wasn't that gap. So, you know, this is an age group that adults have found displeasing for a really, really long time. They're difficult. They're, they point out all your hypocrisies, you know, they're moody. Um, And they're just generally, you know, it's right after the period of their having been so sweet and cuddly and loving. So it, it hits parents full force, you know, when the early adolescent behavior kicks in Um, and the complaints about them, you know, go back to the late 19th century, the most difficult time in a parent's life. They're, you know, always criticizing, always fighting and bickering, especially girls with their mothers. And then what was really interesting uh, when Anna Freud wrote about them and, and Anna Freud was in the 1930s, the person who emerged just kind of the voice of, you know, psychological thinking about adolescence. Basically, her perceptions were formed by how difficult uh, psychoanalysts found them. So it was just, you know, speaking from the same perspective of personal difficulty again, um, the way parents were, rather than really doing any kind of objective research, which, you know, psychoanalysts didn't do back then, you know, um, any kind of hardcore experimental research. So she just, you know, generalized from the experience in the office to a general rule about uh, adolescence. And the thing is, much of what she said is true, you know, and it certainly makes for really great quotes. But the problem is it isn't true of all adolescents and certainly not of all middle schoolers. So one thing that you point out that you say had changed about middle school today compared to when you were going through middle school is the amount of freedom and having, I guess, like, the boundary. The boundary between the adult world and the and the kid world. I mean, yeah. yeah. What, do, what do you mean by that? Well, I think a lot of a lot of Gen Xers remember this and talk about it. Certainly the older Gen Xers, of which I'm one, that we remember when we were growing up that our parents were just a lot less in, involved in, invested in our day-to-day lives. And certainly right. not all friendships, you know, in the kind of really down in the weeds kind of micromanaging way that parents very often are today. And it's sort of ironic, at least in my own case, you know, because I grew up in New York City in the 1970s, that much of what parents do today is driven by a concern with their kids' safety. But in fact, the world generally, I mean, statistics back this up, it's not just New York City, is much safer for kids now than it was, you know, even going back to the 90s. You know, we live in a safer, cleaner, in many ways, better time. And, you know, there's been 
and I've written about this in other places too. It's just this generation of parents has long had the issue of of being enmeshed with their children, you know, of not being able to see or, or not wanting to have um, emotional boundaries with their children where they're the adults and the children are the children. And and that too stems from a good place, I think. I mean, I think for a lot of, well, you know, for my cohort, sort of younger baby boomer parents and older Gen Xers, you know, we had parents who were kind of a little bit following the Mad Men model of, you know, of benign neglect. And a lot of, a lot of people didn't feel seen. Now, I don't know if that's really so generationally specific or age specific for Gen Xers, you know, that may extend down in age a bit more too. I know, I think it's different for millennials. I really do. But there was this feeling of a need to make sure that their kids, our kids never felt unseen, unheard, you know, um, emotionally invalidated the way so many of us did. And so, you know, as, as my daughter always teases me, like every emotion must be expressed and validated. And this comes through in parenting in a whole lot of different ways. And the unfortunate way that it comes through in middle school parenting is that when the clickiness starts and the friendships drama starts, all of which is just normal and hardwired and kind of par for the course, I'm not talking about really out there bullying. Right. Yeah. so enmeshed in it and they want to fix it. You know, they feel like they need to protect their kids from feeling anything of the pain that they felt at the same age. And it always makes things worse. Always, always, always. We're here with Judith Warner talking about how to make sense of the middle school years. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. And most people are feeling really isolated because unlike early childhood, middle school is an age when parents don't sort of swap stories or, you know, tell heroic tales of staying up all night or whatever. It becomes really important to put a good face on things and make sure that your child is saving face. A lot of the same stuff kids are doing in a way. While parents worry a lot about social media and they worry a lot about the influence of their kids, friends, et cetera, et cetera. When it comes to long-term happiness, those are not the real dangers. The dangers are the values all around us. You know, it's biological. I mean, the period around puberty is the biggest time of brain change after the zero to three period. You know, it's, it's what scientists call a, a, a critical period, a second critical period where new connections are made, old connections are shut down by, by pruning, the brain becomes more efficient, develops all sorts of new capabilities, but also as a result of all of this development and change is a lot more vulnerable, more vulnerable to, to environmental insult, and that could be you know, having unhappy social experiences at school or substances, you know, all, all sorts of things have a disproportionate impact on the brain in this period. And certainly, you know, I, unfortunately, and, and you may disagree with me and I'm sure many listeners will, but 
we've all been kind of sold a bill of goods about weed, you know, which has been presented to this generation as a substance that is benign, certainly more benign than alcohol. The mental health community has been arguing against that since before weed legalization. And they are now seeing the fallout of it, especially with teenagers and young adults. And, you know, the one um, psychiatrist I spoke with who specializes in kids this age, I'm not talking about middle schoolers now, but well, it probably does, but, you know, adolescents and young adults said, we have just conducted a huge uncontrolled experiment on an entire generation. And we're only now beginning to see the results. So, you know, I say this not to, to be, I don't know, to be sort of this moralistic, scary person, but, and I, you know, from reading the book that I really try to kind of calm parental fears down. But when it does come to this one area, I just think that there's been such a failure in terms of public education, you know, and public health warnings and everything else that's gone around tobacco or alcohol or seatbelts, you name it. And parents ought to be aware of it because it's doing such a disservice to their kids. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening.